This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 146, Jessica Posiak, entrepreneur and adventure traveler extraordinaire. Hi friends, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is Kurt. Hey, today's show is a little bit different from our standard format. Not a lot different, but a little. You know, often when we're speaking to our guests, we find out that they have found a way to build a career around the adventure sports that they love. And we thought, wouldn't it be fun if we took kind of an entrepreneurial swing from time to time and interviewed people and asked them specifically How did they get there? What did they do to create their adventure sport-focused lifestyle? And so today's show is going to be one of those. We obviously will continue to have our regular shows as well, but we just thought it might be fun to throw in some brand new questions and an angle more about how people can find a way to do the work that they love or play the work that they love, as the case may be, And so today's show is the first, hopefully, of several of this style. You know, I was looking at the stats about the show today, and it's beginning to become apparent that we are one of the leading adventure-based podcasts in the world today. If you search for adventure in the podcast world, you will find the Adventure Sports Podcast there. It's exciting to see the growth, and I want to say thank you, because we know that growth is due to you sharing about the show with your friends And I'm asking a special request. Please continue to do that. The number one thing that you can do to help grow the Adventure Sports Podcast is to tell others about the show. If you know people that love adventure, hey, direct them our way. Thank you very much. And now, on with the show. Today with us is Jessica Posiak, and Jessica is the owner of an amazing company called Want Expeditions, and Want stands for Wildlife and Nature Travel, which is exactly what Want Expeditions does. They help guests to have amazing natural experiences with amazing natural phenomenon, both cultural and wildlife-oriented, in countries all over the world. Jessica has been to over 80 different countries, and they have over 44 trips planned for just this year alone, where you can do amazing things like uh, go to Costa Rica, Japan, to see uh, harp seal pups, go to sub-Antarctic islands, Sri Lanka, uh, Mali and Burkina Faso, Jordan. I'll let her tell more about that, but today we're going to talk about adventure travel on steroids. So Jessica, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So Jessica, I have a hard time wrapping around everything that you're doing here, but you have built a life around adventure travel that just amazes me. Take a minute to tell our guests a little bit about what it is that you do and about this adventure travel lifestyle. I'm an adventure expedition guide. My background is in ecology and biology, and I also do quite a bit of wildlife photography. And I specialize in taking people to see rare and endangered wildlife, as well as remote cultures, um, such as the Morsi people of Ethiopia, and then also to see a lot of ancient ruins in places like Jordan and throughout the Middle East. What amazes me is the number of trips that we have going here. I, I counted over 44 for just this year. How do you do it all? It is a lot. Well, what's the expression? It takes a village. Um, and it also takes a workaholic. Uh, I definitely am always online having my computer uh, so I can keep building trips. And, you know, technology is so fantastic these days, how it allows us to communicate through the cloud or have access to documents over the cloud. Um, and especially just in terms of keeping in touch with our guests before, during, and after trips, whether it is sending them contracts or giving them itinerary updates. And probably most importantly, afterwards, 
giving them that connection and follow up through photos um, or Facebook so they can keep reliving the memories of the trips that they went on. Uh, that, that in and of itself helps massively. Not to mention, uh, Want Expeditions is going on its 10 year anniversary in, let's see, that'll be 2017. So it's, I think for seeing it as a company that would just be starting, it would be really overwhelming, but, uh, we've got a lot of experience and background of operating in all these countries. So things don't change too drastically from year to year, barring that, you know, there isn't too much political instability that would change us to cancel a trip altogether. Well, I want to get into more detail about what a trip is like, but before we do, um, what got you involved specifically in doing this wildlife focused adventure travel? Well, um, that's kind of a funny story. So I grew up, uh, reading national geographic magazines. I mean that my grandfather had probably every issue since, the start of time. And so I would go to his house and just basically go down into the basement, sit down and pull out these musty copies and just pour over them. And I think that somehow that probably locked itself into my psyche. And, um, I was uh, a bit of a, uh, what do I want to say biology nerd as a kid. I mean, growing up in Northern Michigan, we had really great opportunities for fishing, swimming, hiking, biking, and, I was forever having insect collections and, you know, running home with snakes and my parents were really kind and there was always an aquarium to drop something into or my dad actually built me this massive cage so I could have birds. I always had finches. <laughs> and uh, ironically, when I was 16, I was um, uh orchestra dork and I had the opportunity to go to Europe playing with an orchestra. Um and it's funny because everyone always says, oh, you must have been so good. And the dirty secret is actually that I sat last chair. I was not very good. But that first time going overseas and having an opportunity to interact with different cultures, different people, new foods, languages, even down to the money, it was just such a wonderful eye-opening experience because even when you see all these differences – um, when it comes to humanity, you realize like deep down, we're all the same, even though we may dress differently, speak differently, and that you can go anywhere in the world and actually be very comfortable and things can be very exciting. Um, I just, that really called to me. And I think finally, the one thing that did it for me was when I went to Michigan State University, they had an opportunity for a study abroad to Antarctica. And up until that point, although I had been traveling all over the world, I'd already, I think, had backpacked in Central America for two months. I did a ton of camping. I had been working for the Nature Conservancy. Um, going to Antarctica to study climate change was the first time I realized that you could make a career or lifestyle out of being an expedition guide. And that was really what set me off in terms of choosing this as my lifestyle. Well, it sounds really exciting. I think that some people who have not yet traveled might feel a little inhibited by the media attention of, you know, all tragedies all over the globe and political unrest and wars and all these sorts of things. But um, you've been, you've seen, you've done. Is the world a safe place? It is. And I, you know, this is one thing that I deal with a lot because I'll, I'll reference Africa as a continent. You know, people think when they're flying into Kenya, they, they have these you know, visions in their mind that they're going to hit the ground and be dodging bullets and that there's going to be these, you know, starving Ethiopian children reaching up for food and what have you. And I'm not going to lie, that does exist in the world. And certainly there are places that are extremely politically unstable. I've had the good fortune to be caught in two coup d'etats. Um, but, you know, it, it's all relative. It's especially with the distance. It's like, if there were riots in LA, would you not go to New York city? Absolutely mm, not. But right. you listen to the news and it sounds so bad or in a lot of places you can get there on the ground. And is there a chance for political instability? Absolutely. Does it mean that there's going to be a riot that breaks? No, there's a higher chance of it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're totally unsafe when you get on the ground. Sure. So it's probably a matter of uh, just being in the right places <laughs> and avoiding the wrong places and the wrong times. Absolutely. I mean, having a good head around your shoulders, um, you know, one little caveat is as much as the news can make things seem really scary, 
on the other end, you can go where we have so much access at our fingertips with the internet, which is wonderful in so many ways. Um, however, it can make people very unprepared because reading an article online and thinking, you know, exactly what it's like to go into a country and, um, negotiate borders and different people. That's, that's a whole new ball of wax. So it's, it's always all about balance. Mm, Yeah. You know, I took a trip to Kenya many years ago and we hired a driver to drive us around and he was Kikuyu and we went to the Kalinjan areas for the majority of our stay. And it wasn't, it was probably two weeks into the trip when I was sitting in the home of a Kalinjan man with my Kikuyu driver, and they explained that a civil war had just ended between their two tribes. Yep. And this whole time, we didn't realize that there was this kind of, you know, tension. And everyone was gracious and wonderful, and it was, felt like a very safe experience, but it was just kind of eye-opening to realize that just a couple of weeks earlier, they were they were hacking at each other with machetes. Yeah, that, you know, that absolutely does happen. And and I think in a lot of those cases, too, it ultimately is really directed in um, between the different tribes and factions as opposed to an outsider. And even as an outsider, the places that you're visiting are not necessarily going to be right in those areas. Like, And when it comes to wildlife or if you really want to get off the beaten path, for instance, in Madagascar the last couple of years, there's been a lot of political instability, but it really only happens in the capital and probably the least amount of time you're going to spend on, on is certainly on our tours. From the moment that you land, we're whisking you out to some of the most remote places where there's not a lot of people to begin with. And so you, you're not necessarily even aware that something else could be going on and you're really sheltered from it in many ways. You know, it adds a sense of adventure, though, to see the real world. And it's a beautiful thing that you're taking people there so that they can experience other cultures and ecosystems and rare and endangered animals. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I love it. So, Jessica, we interview a lot of people who have created an adventure-filled lifestyle for themselves. Mm -hmm. And we're wanting to focus for a few shows here on how people manage to do that because there's so many people that dream of it who haven't pulled it off yet. So what were the motivations that had you pursue this lifestyle? Well, I think number one, I never had aspirations necessarily for a typical work day. Even from the time I had, I think I had my first job. I was, you know, I would go to school. I had a job in the evening. Uh, in the summers, I pretty much always worked two jobs and I really enjoyed the change, uh, you know, of atmosphere. I really liked working directly with people. Um, and I think just the opportunity to be outside was something that absolutely called to me. And as I said before, just that, you know, when you can go out there and have these different experiences and whether it's seeing a tiger for the first time or visiting with a remote tribe, like those are rewards that are almost intangible. I don't know how else to describe them when they talk about things being priceless or once in a lifetime. When you've sat down and you see a mountain gorilla for your first time, that is a once in a lifetime trip. It is unforgettable and that it's life changing. And that is something that absolutely to pursue this career. Mm, boy, it sounds amazing. So describe for us, what does a typical work day look like for you? Well, it's uh, not as romantic as everyone thinks. Um, for me, when I'm not out in the field, I probably spend 12 hours in front of my computer um, fielding emails, designing new trips, or if I have other guides out in the field, just keeping on top of the logistics, making sure that everything's good, that they have all the back support that they need. And then when I'm in the field, most trips are on average two weeks. A lot of our trips actually can go back to back. Um, but when you're in the field, it can be 17 hour days for two weeks to a month at a time. And that is also something that works really well with me that I have a lot of energy where some people are, you know, would be pretty wiped out by the end of that. So that, uh, that sometimes dissuades people when they look at it, the romance of it. And you think like one thing that people always say to me is, Oh, you're always on vacation. And uh, you know, the fact in the matter is I'm never on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> but you know, I've heard people say, and maybe you can tell us how accurate this is for your own life. If you're doing work that you love to do, then it's energizing. And Absolutely. so, you know, working the longer hours and, and things like that, it's, it's rewarding. It's not necessarily that you feel exhausted Although I'm sure you get tired, but you're not exhausted 
by what you're doing as a subject matter. That's exhaustion from good hard work. Absolutely. And I think there's something to be said. Doing what I do is one of the few fields that, you know, people read books about great explorers and adventurers and, you know, how they are tested in the field or, and there's so much romance about it. And that is a huge part of it. There's something to be said when you're out there and you're getting tired and, you know, you think you can't go on or you're cold and to see what am I really made of? Um, And there is absolutely a thrill in that. And also for me, knowing when I've either created an opportunity to show something that will stick with a person for the rest of their life, that is a very, very fulfilling um, for myself. That's cool. So I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Will you describe for us a typical day on one of your trips? What's it like? How many people are there and what kind of activities are going on? Sure. So it depends on the trip. Um, Some trips can have as little as eight or if it's a private tour, even four. Um, And then generally maximum group size is 16. And again, it just depends on the location, how many beds are available, but we don't go over that. And uh, if it's a wildlife safari in Africa, generally I can be up anywhere between four and five and starting to wake people up not long after that for a very early breakfast and we can start game driving. And the reason that we're up so early is that in order to have the best wildlife experiences, um, most of the activity happens at sunrise and sunset. So uh, we want to make sure that we're in the field and out moving uh, as the uh, nocturnal animals are going to bed and the diurnal ones are just waking up. That's that's when we're going to start to see a lot of these great encounters. Mm, that sounds and, delightful. Yeah, it's especially in Africa. It's it's really some. There's nothing else like it. And, and but that does also apply on a lot of other trips, especially in warmer locations. Earlier in the day, it's obviously a lot more enjoyable for everybody if the sun's not out and we can have a little bit of cooler temperatures for activities, and then. Um, usually come back for breakfast or a snack. Uh, after that, give everybody an opportunity to change. Um, usually arrange another activity of sightseeing of some sort. Have lunch. After lunch, we tip short siesta. And that works out well because with really early rising times, really late bedtimes, um, everybody can kind of rest, recuperate. Plus, in terms of wildlife, in the middle of the day, we're not going to see much. So it's great for everybody. You're not missing anything. Uh, wake up, usually another afternoon snack. We want to make sure everybody stays uh, energized, usually like a tea time of some sort, and then back out in the field again, searching for wildlife or spending time with um, a tribe of some sort, come back for dinner. And depending on the location, we may go out for an evening activity. Again, there's some opportunities to see uh, nocturnal animals. Like in Madagascar, there's a few species of lemur and especially chameleon that we would only see in the evenings. Um, in Botswana, again, one of the best time to see predators hunting. Um, but in the case of, say, the Galapagos, uh, from that point on, everyone's pretty worn out because we've been snorkeling and hiking and snorkeling and hiking. Um, that by that point, everyone eats dinner and they're usually asleep before, um, I can finish my recap and briefing. And then we reposition the boat and do it all over again the next day. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Winter is in full swing, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon, Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with the proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself 
on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, split boards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check Bentgate.com for their full product selection, as well as updates on all of their events. Hey, River Rats, you've heard nature photographer John Fielder discuss Colorado's free-flowing Yamper River on the Adventure Sports Podcast. Now get the 150 scenic and historic pictures behind the words. John's latest coffee table book guides you from its headwaters in the Flat Tops wilderness to the confluence with a green river and dinosaur national monument. Visit johnfielder.com for more about the book or get your copy now at amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, or your favorite independent Colorado book retailer. Once again, that book is Colorado's Yampa River, free-flowing and wild from the flat tops to the green. So long days, but broken up so people can enjoy it and amazing experiences throughout. Absolutely. I mean, it's, I think there's a pretty good balance overall. You're, you're certainly, the type of trips that we arrange are not for the type of traveler that wants to sit on the beach and have a cocktail. Like I just actually spoke with one of my guests this morning and she said it best. She's like, you know, this is my investment. I want to get the most of my dollar. And, you know, we think that's really important that you're out there and maximizing your time and your experiences. And then also to look at, we don't want to wear you out too. So they're set in a way that, like I said, having the siesta or maybe every two, three days we have a free afternoon so people can decide that maybe they need to rest. Maybe they need to do just to sit and reflect on what all the stuff that we've seen so far can be really useful. Mm. It sounds like a lot of fun. I love the approach to adventure travel that you have for your groups there. Um, Sounds perfect to me. But I wanted to ask you personally, how did adventure travel change your life? Well, let's see. How did adventure travel change my life? I would say it's certainly given me a greater appreciation for humanity and um, endless amounts of patience. I think a big part of it is like there's something to be said to struggle a little bit for something and having a greater appreciation as a result of doing so. You know, when things come to you really easy, that's when you tend to look around and say, you know, maybe it wasn't as cool. Maybe it wasn't as exciting. Maybe it wasn't as uh, happy or whatever. And when you have to hike in or you have to fly in or you have to endure a hot day to get there and see the most amazing sunset that you've ever seen in your life suddenly makes everything a little bit sweeter. And back home, it certainly makes me appreciate what I have here even more so. Kind of a funny thing that I think of a lot after my tours is when I come home and I hear people complain about if they have to wait a little bit for hot water. Mm. And I'm like, do you understand? I'm like, you have hot, drinkable, running water in your home as compared to going to places where, you know, people are scooping up buckets of water and walking two miles with it on their head, generally women, and that's their drinking water, laundry, and bath water, and cooking water for the day. You know, it it's such a simple thing, but when uh, we were in Kenya for five weeks, there was no comfortable seat. <laughs> yes. I, it's crazy because I never thought of that. You know, there was not a padded chair. And when I got home and sat down on a sofa, I thought, wow, sofas are something else. (laughs) Right. Well, and you know, it's a funny thing, too, about that. And I'm sure you experienced this is what people don't also consider in terms of, like I was saying, testing yourself, seeing what you're made of. And travel through Kenya, you can have some really long travel days in between parks. Like, especially if you're going from, you know, you're, you're in the Masai Mara Serengeti. You can easily have an eight-hour day down those washboard roads. And, you know, it starts off and everybody's kind of getting jarred and they're thinking, oh, wow, this is really overwhelming. And, you know, they're holding on with the handle as tight as can be to kind of relieve the bouncing on their butt. Well, you know, then it becomes an endurance contest. (laughs) You wouldn't think something so simple, but it's like if you have to wait through that for eight hours, like that can get very overwhelming for people. Wow. Yeah, a lot of perspective. I tell you what, from international travel, going to places that are so different, 
I think we gain just a a new set of glasses through which to view the world. Yeah, I think um, I had a friend. I'm going to actually steal this from one of my good friends who's a she does a lot of adventure travel and she's an amazing lawyer. Her name's Chun Wright. She's out of Washington, D.C. But she said to me one day, she goes, I, I think the thing I like most about travel is that you have to give up something to get something greater in yourself. And ultimately, it's in many ways control, because when you go out there, you expose yourself to so many things Um you don't have all the same comforts, but when you come home, you have such a richer perspective and in life in general. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, rewind a little bit. Tell us what you did to put together this company. How did you establish your own adventure-based lifestyle? So when I went down to Antarctica to study climate change, I actually met my ex-husband, um, who at the time had been working in the polar regions for about five years. And he had this idea to start not an adventure travel company, but more like an online travel agent or even advisor where people could write and say, hey, I want to go to Uganda to see mountain gorillas. And he wanted to design itineraries and sell them to them based upon the itinerary, but not necessarily lead the trips. Um, The one thing that just became apparent to me right away is that travel is all about trust and it can be very unnerving going into a place that you don't have, um, any sort of familiarization with and what these people really wanted since they traveled with he or I in places like Antarctica was for us to lead the tours. And so I said, let's, let's put some tours together. And we did. And overnight it, it really just took off. So you started up this company and you started guiding tours and how many tours have you done now? It must be hundreds. Oh yeah. I, you know, I had someone ask me the other day, it kind of made me laugh. They said, um, how many trips have you done to Africa? And it was, you know, I really don't even keep track anymore. Um, you know, some destinations we only do on an annual basis. Like for instance, the harp seals in the Gulf of St. Lawrence, because there's only a two week period in which we can go in and see them. But, you know, I've done that trip for over five years now. Um, But around the world, definitely hundreds. Wow. So I'll bet you've learned a thing or two about guiding trips, about (laughs) giving people a great experience and keeping everyone safe, (laughs) that sort of thing. Um, Really cool. Question for you, though. Go for it. When you were trying to build this company, I know that there must have been some challenges along the way. So... Tell us about when things didn't go right as you're trying to build this organization. Well, um, so one of the things I've actually only spoken about in one other uh, feature I actually had, it's called the Legacy Project. It was pretty challenging for me um, to speak out about because at the time I felt a lot of shame over the subject matter. But um, the relationship that I had um, with my ex-husband was definitely extremely unhealthy and really made it challenging to, I can feel my heart beating as I'm just even trying to talk about this. Wow. Um, to say it was unhealthy is, is to put it very delicately. Um, it is, was in many ways downright abusive. And, you know, the hard thing was that I really always prided myself on doing the right thing and always maintaining that, you know, integrity is paramount. Again, especially when it comes to travel, it's about trust and to remain so solid no matter what. And so um, outwardly, really kind of maintaining this facade that everything was so perfect between the two of us, when behind the scenes, it was definitely not at all. And I kept trying to stick it out, thinking things would get better or they would improve or something would kind of give at some point. And finally, I just decided that this this is no way to live and <clears throat> to uh, ask for a divorce, which, again, it just comes with a lot of like shame, like, oh, maybe I failed or what have you. But what I found in the end was, you know, I, I kept my nose to the ground. I, I worked my butt off over the last four years and have had just amazing amounts of support between my family and my clients. And it certainly was a setback, you know, financially, emotionally, um, mentally, but 
to see where I am now, how much I've grown, how the business has grown. And actually, I've had so many people who wrote me since that the first time I wrote or had the legacy project came out and they just said, thank you so much for speaking out about this. This is something that no one wants to talk about. And realizing that in that sense, I became a role model for a lot of people. And that just was such a an amazing 360 and validation for everything that I'd gone through. And then even more so just seeing my business continue to grow, um, which a large part of it is actually built off of me having a fairly public persona. And I think, you know, if you can stay true to yourself and your values and, you know, work hard, you get what's coming to you. And that's a really rewarding feeling. So just for clarification, you and your ex-husband were working together on the business, right? So when the divorce happened, that was a quite a disruption. Absolutely, yeah. Wow. And coming out of that, lessons learned, what advice would you have for our listeners? Um, well, lessons learned, I would say, uh, you know, some people say that you can't work with a spouse. I don't necessarily agree with that, even despite my experience. I think more importantly is to be very strong um, in defining, you know, what your life balance is going to be. Um, and also it's important to have um, a, a good lawyer. And I don't mean that. That can probably come off sounding kind of funny. But I think structurally for the business to, you know, it's to really kind of have that separation between business and home um, and all roles defined is great for everybody involved, whether it's your staff, whether it's yourself. Um, and, and I think in this industry, a lot of people do end up working together as friends, as colleagues. Um, it can be very intense at times, um, especially in the situations, whether if you're out in the field and, you know, you're working two weeks intimately with another guide, you get to know them inside and out. And so that that's really helpful. Um, and probably the greatest lesson is just, you know, no matter how bad you think things could be right now because of anything you might be struggling with personally, it always gets better. Mm. And that that's something to just tell yourself over and over again. You know, if you've worked through the pain, keep going. It's going to end and things will get better. Thank you very much for being real with us. It's real easy to romanticize the idea of running a travel company and doing this amazing adventurous lifestyle. Um some people might want to hide the fact that there are challenges along the way, but by being real with us, I think it makes you more approachable. It, it lets people know that uh, you've had those life experiences and that you persevere. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's easy to, to look at anyone's life. And I, I saw something the other day about success is like an iceberg. And it said, you know, what people see and what, what the reality is. And on the top, you know, it was like beautiful, you know, structure, success, all stuff. And then below it was like pitfalls, you know, this, this, this. And I, and I, I just thought that was like so ironic or not so ironic. That was such a great way to put it. Like, you know, the amount of hard stress, especially doing it as your own business, that's, that's a, a whole different lifestyle as of compared to going into a nine to five where you have a, a little bit more job security. Oh yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of challenge and risk associated with it. Well, good for you for persevering and good for your company. Holy cow. I, I am just amazed. Like I said before, at the number of trips that Wand Expeditions is putting out there this year, you guys are rocking it. Thanks. Yeah. This uh, last year ended up being probably one of the best years so far. We actually won uh, National Geographic's 50 Tours of a Lifetime. Um, I was chosen by DC Modern Luxury for their brightest entrepreneurs under 40. Um, had a big two-page feature in the Washington Post. And um, what, there was something else. Oh, I was chosen as the best travel agent for Washington, DC. So definitely um, excited and looking forward to what 2016 is going to hold for us. Oh, how much fun is that? Well, some people, when they think of transitioning to an adventure-focused life, and this is a this is a major theme for our show. We interview so many people that have made that transition, but there are an awful lot of listeners out there who say, you know what, I've been working for the last 10, 15 years in corporate America. It's time for a change. What are your thoughts about the ways to go about that? Some people, they take that leap of faith. They quit the job, they dive into something, and they, they go at it at 100 miles per hour. Other people say, no, 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 I'm going to do something on the side, I'm going to bootstrap it and, and let it grow until it can carry me. 
What's your thoughts about those two approaches? Well, you know, I think number one, to decide whether if it's something that you want to make a living out of, or is this something that you just want it to be your everyday activity or something that, you know, you, you can live on a daily basis, but maybe you still want that nine to five. And I don't, I don't think there's an either or in that one. I've had guests who, in fact, I'll, I'll never forget this one who came with me to, um, Kenya. Kenya is the theme of this trip. And that was really his first time overseas. And it, it just sparked something in him. And now he's a big mountain climber. It was like just that, that getting out there, that exposure and, Somehow he decided, and we actually climbed part of Kilimanjaro on that trip. I don't know if that was the actual mountain climbing itself that did it, but you know he's done some pretty extensive trips now, and but yet he still does his same nine to five job, and you know he, I guess it's the difference between it. Do you want to work to live or you want to live to work? Mm. And you know it's you can do both in that sense. It's I don't think it needs to be. Um, mutually exclusive. So for you, it was more a matter of, hey, this is a career path I want to do. We're going to build a business. For me, when it came to my lifestyle, I've always had a very um, creative um, and ambitious side. And no obstacle has seemed uh, insurmountable to me. And creating the business without any kind of format or background um, was in many ways really exciting. And you were asking me about that earlier about it. You know, what were some of the rewards? It is really exciting to make something with your bare hands and step back and say, I did that. And I guess I just had never thought otherwise. It just was such a natural transition from how I, my work style, my lifestyle, and to just keep working at it, having success, working at it, having success. Um, it just, it was a very natural progression there. It wasn't, I would not say it was a conscientious decision that for the rest of my life, I'm starting this company and this is what I'm going to do um, from now until I'm, I retire. So it was uh, just kind of a natural offspring of doing what you love to do. It sounds like. Yes, absolutely. Mm, that's great. So you have any uh, words of advice for our listeners? If they want to incorporate more adventure in their lives, what, what could they do? If you want to incorporate more adventure in your life, I think it's important to, you know, look first around you. Everybody first goes, oh, I want to set off and I want to, you know, climb this mountain. But I think what's the uh, the Chinese expression? It's um, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And, you know, if you think you might have a passion for mountain climbing, go to a rock wall. Check it out. That's going to, you know, help you decide this is something that you really love. You want to... Um, you know, do the Hodge, go out, get some local hikes in, see how that treats you. Uh, and if you're a foodie, oh my gosh, you can travel all around the world, you know, get out, try new foods, and then see if that's something that you're open <laughs> to getting into another country and trying whatever they put in front of your face. And then, you know, the other thing is just bite the bullet. If you've been hemming and hawing and looking at a tour or a place that you want to visit, don't wait till you're older, just do it. Um, you know, life goes fast and furiously by us and, you know, you can wait your whole life to go do something, but if you wait too long, you may find that either physically you're not capable of, or unfortunately sometimes even financially, and I'm not necessarily advocating, you know, blowing your entire life savings on a round the world tour for an entire year. But, you know, if you've been looking at something like, oh, I've always thought I want to go to, um, the Galapagos, which is probably one of the most rewarding trips that anyone can go on at all ages. Um, and if your option is, do I do the Galapagos versus, say, visiting um, Disneyland, I think you might find the costs are pretty comparable, and the, but the rewards will be uncomparable. Mm. The 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas-burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fail you in the field. 
Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels, including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new flame at 180tac.com or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small. Phoenix Multisport is a sober, active community that supports individuals who are healing from substance use disorder by providing free programs to help them maintain their sobriety. A few of these programs include CrossFit, yoga, boxing, cycling, and rock climbing, and are offered to anyone who is 48 hours clean and sober. Phoenix Multisport provides programs in Colorado, Orange County, California, and Boston, Massachusetts. For more information on this nonprofit, go to www.phoenixmultisport.org. Together, we can help individuals rise from the ashes of their addiction and heal families. you have such a variety of trips here if someone wanted kind of a dip my toe in the water trip what would you recommend the galapagos um costa rica if you wanted to do africa kenya tanzania are two of the best countries that you can start in um and if you wanted to stay domestically and have a kind of a little bit of an interesting experience with a lot of adventure yellowstone is great to get out there, travel in the snow cats, see the bison crusted in snow. It's really, really neat. So you do a Yellowstone winter safari. Mm-hmm. So right here without having to go overseas. That's pretty cool. So now, extreme trip. For someone who says, I just want I want the most extreme experience I can get, what would you recommend? Well, one of the most extreme trips that unfortunately is closed right now, but I everyone should have on their radar, is Socotra, Yemen. Um, and it's an island 200 miles off the coast of Yemen, and it is unlike anything else in this world. It, they call it the Galapagos of the Indian Ocean because it has these very unusual dragon's blood trees. And just the topography alone is like out of uh, Alice in Wonderland. It, it's just it's so incredible to get there. And um, if you want to throw in a, a little more danger, uh, heading to Congo, always has its exciting moments. You can now go to Virunga that's recently opened and there's a wonderful documentary on it on Netflix, but you can see uh, mountain gorillas, the last remaining of Eastern lowland gorillas. There's only 130 left of them in the world. And you can climb Niragongo, which is, has one of the few active lava lakes in the world. And you actually camp right on the rim and get to stare into that bubbling lava lake at the night. Mm. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Wow. Yeah, good times there. Well, hey, you've made it sound so appealing. Do you have any discounts or promotions that would help our, our listeners out? Yeah, I think that, you know, three different tours that kind of would give your listeners, um, depending on their their travel uh, experiences and whether a place to jump in or a little more extreme, we, we, we're going to offer $500 off our Jordan trip, which actually won – um, uh, culinary safari of the year last year. And that is a great trip where you get to see a lot of, uh, ancient Roman ruins, uh, Petra, one of the new seven wonders, and we get to eat our faces off. There's so much good food there. (laughs) That sounds fun. Yeah. It's, it's, you'll definitely, it's a good thing. We walk a lot on that trip. Uh, we even do a cooking class, so that's nice. The other one is Pantanal. And the Pantanal is a wetland area down in Brazil. It's the size of France, and it's the best wildlife safari destination outside of Africa. This is the place where if you want to see jaguars along riverbanks, you can see it there as well as um, the world's giant rodent, the capybara. A lot of endangered species, including uh, lesser anteaters, greater anteaters, neotropical river otters, and if you're a birder, that place is dynamite. And finally, uh, Borneo and Brunei. So that will be in the fall. Uh, great opportunity to see orangutans, uh, pygmy elephant, 
lots of birds, incredible caves, and we also get the chance to climb Kotakinabalu, uh, which is in a very exciting peak. And if you're really wanting to have that little extra, you can descend down the Via Ferrata, which translates to um, steel bridge, and you're basically clipped in and sort of traversing down a much steeper route, and it's very, very exciting. So it's it's is it kind of like a a giant zip line down steel cables? What is this? Uh, it's not. You actually have to walk down, um, but it's certainly not. Um, you're not you're not going on like a zip line by any means. You you have to have your feet on the ground, but you're kind of hanging off the side of the mountain. So mm. looking for that first dose of like, what would it be like to climb a mountain, especially with harnesses and equipment? That would be a great way to break yourself in. How tall is the mountain? Uh, the elevation for Kotakinabalu is just over 4,000 meters. It's about 4,100 meters high. 4,100 meters. So that translates to uh, about 14,000 feet. Is that right? Yeah, a little bit less. Well, thank you for that. We always love it when our guests will give our listeners a chance at a, at a better deal. And I hope that the listeners out there will look you up and take advantage of that. I can't imagine any of these places. Jordan would be wonderful, the Pantanal. Now about the Pantanal area, is that done by boat or are you walking? How do you get in there? So what you do is you would fly into a small city called Cuyaba. And from there, we actually hop in a safari car and set start heading down the Trans-Pantanal Highway. And initially, we'll stay in line and go out for driving safaris and walking safaris. And just as a side note, one of the nice things about the Pantanal is we're not dealing with large predators like lions and, and leopards. Even with the jaguars, we can be on our feet, which is a great way to get really up close to wildlife. Mm. Um, and then so we, we'll continue actually all the way down this road till we hit a river. From there, we hop on boats, and then it's boat safaris every day. And that's our best uh, place to see jaguars up and down that whole river area. And so then there's river safaris every day as well as walking safaris combined with that. Oh, wow. Sign me up. That sounds so cool. Yeah, it's it's spectacular. Seeing, a, I think, what was it, last year? If you Google it somewhere, there's a photo or a video of a jaguar stalking a caiman and just leaping on it and... That's dinner. It's, it's <laughs> Wow. Well, do you have any books or projects that you'd like to tell our audience about? Yeah, actually, um, I am supposed to be working on a biography. That's something I kind of keep going back and forth with over uh, the last couple years. Hopefully, we'll be partnering with a couple big uh, organizations here soon to be offering tours for them. And then I'm looking to start a separate vein of want expeditions that's going to be more philanthropic in the sense of we want to take at-risk youth from the United States in different schools and take them into different communities for projects that will focus on leadership development. And then the ultimate goal is to help these kids get into college and lead really awesome, successful lives and become leaders themselves. Oh, that's cool. What a beautiful way to give back. That's that's fun. Yeah. Well, will you close us out with an inspirational story? I'm not sure if this will be as much of a inspirational story, but maybe more so just kind of how to help people stay focused and how um, I use my mind in the sense that no matter how stressed or frustrated I am, I just always remind myself that I have the power to write my own f- future. And, you know, it's important to set goals for myself and stick to them. And at the end of the day, when it comes to doing what you love and especially if you're choosing a different lifestyle or career that doesn't fit, you know, that same mold that everyone is doing, um, you know, to listen to what's in your heart and to not give up and to keep working day in, day out. And if you can stick to that, the rewards will be there waiting for you. Um, And I think for me each day, it's not just about the rewards that I get, but also I look at what kind of legacy do I want to leave behind and that drives me, that drives the world around me, it drives my community around me, and that has made for a very, very rich life. So if you can jot that down, what you think, what you believe, what you stand for, and try to apply that to your everyday life, you'll find things get really good really quick. 
Mm, I love it. And, you know, it goes back to what you said about a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. You know, when we look at a really big goal, it seems overwhelming and uh, like a mountain that can't be climbed. But if you take the first step and then you take the next step and then you do the next little thing and you make a list, if I did this, this and this and you learn and you grow, then the end result is what you're talking about. Absolutely. And that that's even something I have to remind myself a lot because I have a tendency to think really big and then all of a sudden it can seem very overwhelming. But, you know, and, and that's the other thing, too, what's great about goal setting is that helps all the mundane stuff give it value. So if you wanted to be a mountain climber, well, you got to work out. Working out isn't always fun. You got to suffer a little bit. It, but if, it, if you're working out, you can set it in your mind that I'm climbing a thousand stairs because I've got to be able to do a thousand stairs on that mountain. Suddenly it, you get a little bit more validation about it and it doesn't seem so hard. Mm, that's wonderful. Yeah. And that's another major theme of our show is that adventure sports give us a reason, right? To, uh, to pursue our dreams and to uh, stay in shape and to get out from in front of the television and off of the couch and, and to do things that build lifelong memories like these trips that you offer. So, Jessica, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate your insight, and I love the idea of your company, Want Expeditions. If people want to contact you, how do they do that? They can go to the website, which is wantexpeditions.com. Um, they can also shoot us an email, office at wantexpeditions, um, or they're always welcome to give us a call, 231 9268 And... If you are looking for something a little more fun, you can always Google us. There's lots of exciting stuff online. We've got a great Facebook page, Instagram page, uh, lots of exciting photography opportunities and things to see. So definitely get in touch with us. So that phone number again was 231-620-9268. It spells want. Want. Awesome. Got it. Any parting words for us? Yes. I think... Um, you know, as much as we said earlier about traveling early, it's never too late to start. I've taken guests as old as 86 years old with me on trips. So, you know, as long as you're willing to get out there and try new things, you'll have an amazing time. That sounds great. Well, Jessica, once again, thank you for being on the Adventure Sports Podcast. And for all of our guests out there, until the next show, get out there and have some fun and call Jessica up so you can get out there and really have some fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. You bet. 